Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at-home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to HypermaxOxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? HypermaxOxygen.com. That's HypermaxOxygen.com. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on a Sunday afternoon. What for you is hopefully a nice Monday morning, hopefully the beginning of a shortened week for you with Thanksgiving coming up later this week. I think towards the end of the episode, Brendan and I maybe will take a a short look back at the 2018 season and offer what we are thankful for as we sit down for this holiday meal. Um, I don't know if that's going to be positives or negatives as it relates to the 2018 Cubs, but there was plenty to be thankful for (laughs) one way or another. And we are still in a kind of slow period of the off season. We've seen uh, a few signings here, but they are uh, seemingly few and far between. Brendan, the Red Sox locking up World Series MVP Steve Pierce for a year, but otherwise nothing uh, particularly noteworthy. So we will take a look at what rumors may be out there 
uh, and see what is simmering, if you will, on the hot stove as we are just a few weeks officially into the MLB off season. But I think, Brendan, first things first, we got Mm -hmm. the Cy Young and MVP voting earlier this week. And I just want to clear up for the record that I do not have a vote for the Cy Young. I know uh, many people were looking at the balloting and seeing that John Lester received a fourth place vote uh, from a writer ahead of Aaron Nola, even on that writer's ballot. Again, I just want to clarify, Brendan, and I think you know this uh, and maybe can corroborate this for me. That is not me, and I do not have a vote for the Cy Young. And I got to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have uh, voted Lester there. So I'm not going to throw you under the bus on who you said was better going into this podcast, but I'm not going to do that. But I, I will say, though, our pre-conversation uh, for this podcast, surprising that you wouldn't even consider Lester, maybe even a top eight pitcher. Am I wrong there? No, I did not say that. Uh, I just said I thought fourth was a, a little high. I understood why some people uh, jokingly thought it was me because it just seemed it, – it's a little high. I, I think giving uh, – Lester had a, a very nice year, but I think fourth overall in the NL, um, a bit high, Brendan. Yeah, and his his FIP was like, what, four and a half if I remember. So if you're going on FIP, if you like those isolated metrics, probably not a top 10 pitcher. But I will say, this is what I will say about the Cy Young stuff. Yeah, of course, Lester shouldn't have been in the top five, but I I do wholeheartedly disagree with the concept that John Lester was not a top 10 pitcher at the very least because of his FIP. And since we're talking about this, and we should have talked about this previously before we even hopped on here, Corey, but that one article by, I think it was, what was it, Beyond the Box Score? Is is that who wrote it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. Okay. There was an article that came out while some of the general points were, I guess, made some sense. The idea that John Lester was not good last year because his FIP was 4.3 is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I just want to point that out there. When I think what Uh, what people objected to, it's not an important piece. You guys don't need to go seek it out. It just got it just got the this conversation started. Right. And I think is a good point, Brendan, as you see John you know, whether everyone agrees it, it's the right ranking or not, he does turn up in the Cy Young voting um, and ends up in, in the top several pitchers on that list in the overall voting and their, you know, the Baseball Writers of America's uh, point system, which yeah. is uh, a little interesting. And I'm not going to, you know, necessarily try to figure all that out, but he's in the list. <laughs> and I think it, what came up a lot with that article as well is just the notion that you know, we are four years into this contract with John Lester and to, at his age, 34 in the 2018 season, see him still popping up on Cy Young ballots. You know, we saw him obviously finish, does he finish third in 2016 behind Hendricks or ahead of Hendricks? I, you know, I, I forget. I want to say that he was above Hendricks. I think he was above Hendricks. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I don't remember exactly. I, I once they didn't win, it didn't really matter to me which order yeah. they finished in. Yeah. I want to say. I want to say it was second. I'm pretty sure it was second. Right. But yeah. for for him to be consistently in the mix for Cy Youngs, winning playoff games, uh, you know, it, it's not the the best metric, but you know, he's been an All Star a few times with the Cubs. Like it, it, he he has been so worth that contract, and and as we're four 
years into it, almost astoundingly so, Brendan. I, I think that when the deal was signed, uh, people were expecting this to be a catastrophe from you know an, an annual average value sense and, and just an overall yeah. contract sense, you know, much quicker into the contract than four years. And here we are four years into it, and it's the complete opposite. He just continues to deliver on everything that you would have hoped for when you signed the deal. Oh, 100%. I mean, he'll go down as one of the best free agent signings in Cubs history, if not the best outside of the Hawk, maybe. But I mean, clearly worth every penny so far. And just to circle back to the FIP argument, I I always bring this up. But Tom Tango, the guy who made FIP, he's like the godfather of sabermetrics. If you use FIP as a predictive marker, which a lot of people do, they look at the ERA like, oh, hey, you have a 3.5 ERA, but your FIP is four and a half. So yeah, your ERA is going to go up in the future. That's not necessarily how it works. And in fact, after five seasons, guess what's better, guys? ERA is a better predictive marker than FIP after five baseball seasons. So it's not like, hey, ignore ERA or hey, ignore FIP. Understand some of the limitations. Like baseball is more than just walks, strikeouts, and homers, and that's what FIP captures. And Lester this year even said, I am pitching more to contact intentionally. He said this, guys, intentionally, because the Cubs defense for the first 75% of the season was the best in the league. It was on pace to be even as good as 2016. Then injuries hit. So that's why I have a little problem with with using FIP as the absolute marker. I think you consider it, but when you want to consider everything, what a pitcher brings, Lester induced weak contact. He pitched to contact. He was able to go deep into games because of that and provide more value that way. I think it's very difficult to get the complete picture here, but if you use FIP, I I disagree with that. So... Just to read the complete <laughs> list here, and Brendan, I, I like this. We didn't plan on really having a John Lester conversation to start this, this podcast, but I, it's always a welcome, fired up, Corey. a welcome addition, I think, to uh, just talk about John Lester. I have no, n- no problem with that uh, programming <laughs> decision. But the, the final ballot for the 2018 NL Cy Young, Jacob deGrom winning almost unanimously one first Which place. he should. Yeah, one first place vote for Scherzer. I, I I don't think, you know, in a general sense, you're wrong to vote Scherzer there. But how you don't give it to Degrom is, uh, to me, pretty silly. I don't think the Mets being, well, the Mets uh, has anything to do with the Cy Young. So I was yeah. surprised to see him not get all those votes. Just as I was surprised, honestly, in the NL MVP voting that Christian Yelich didn't get all the votes. I thought both of those were pretty easy, unanimous choices. But it goes to Grom, Scherzer, Nola, Kyle Freeland of the Rockies, Patrick Corbin of the Diamondbacks, Miles Mikolas of the Cardinals, Josh Hader of the Brewers, Mike Fultenowicz, Brendan, that name in the offseason. I think it's Fultenowicz. Having to pronounce names like that. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, and then John <laughs> Lester coming in at what I believe after all those names is ninth. So, But at that point, him... Hader, Fultanowicz separated by a point each in this uh, voting system, which I think goes by how many votes you get per place. So that is your NL Cy Young voting. And as I alluded to, uh, we also got the MVP voting, Mookie Betts winning in the American League. And I think as we were all anticipating, even though, uh, you know, we kind of had to 
grit our teeth when admitting it, uh, Christian Yelich does win this award uh, exactly like DeGrom. 29 first-place votes, one second-place vote. The other first-place vote in the MVP voting going to Jacob DeGrom. I know that was uh, an interesting debate they were having. I, I saw a few times on the MLB Network trying to figure out if they thought that DeGrom being a pitcher but also being on a team as bad as the Mets could be the MVP because obviously the numbers overall he put up uh, were really quite something. So interesting to see that he does get a first place vote there. Javi Baez, uh, as you might know, of the Chicago Cubs coming in second place. Yelich with 415 points and Javi with 250 Nolan Arenado in third with 203, Freddie Freeman in fourth, and like I said, with the first place vote, Jacob deGrom ends up in fifth. So, Brendan, I know that this wasn't uh, particularly surprise, and it was nice to see on the little award show that they do on the MLB Network, Javi getting to be a part of the interview, talk with the with the hosts. I know Harold Reynolds talked with him a lot about uh, his versatility and his defense. So at the very least, I think it's it's cool that Javi gets that moment to hopefully be around his oh, yeah. family and friends and, you know, on a, on a somewhat national stage for everybody who uh, has a cable subscription that gets the MLB Network, he gets to sort of show off a little bit and, and be honored for a really great season, even if he does uh, ultimately fall short of... Yelich, which I, I think, Brennan, we were in agreement that that was how it was going it, to go it, and how it, it should have been gone. that way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And the, the fact that Javi finished second is by no means uh, because he just faltered at the end of the year. Yelich deserved it. He carried his team. He had a, a season, season which basically he hit the top of his projection, right? So there is no surprise there, but just to kind of circle back to what Javi's done over the past three years, I think if you went into 2016, the season in which the Cubs, if I need to remind you, won the World Series, you would have been blown away if I told you, hey, Javi Baez, in two more seasons, he will be the second, the runner-up for the MVP race. I would have been shocked. He would have been, and again, no dissing Javi here, but the Cubs were so saturated with talent for Javi to be on the top is somewhat surprising for me. So I just going into 2016, he had a projection Woba of 310 guys. And then 2016, he finished with 316 Woba in 2017, 326. And of course, last year, almost 370 and an MVP shot. Remarkable what he's done. So it's regardless of how uh, many votes he got, how many votes he didn't get, it doesn't really matter. The fact that he's even in this discussion is remarkable in, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I'm with you there. I think uh, I'd be lying if I, you know, would have said I wasn't surprised to see him get this close. You know, like ahead of Rizzo and 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 other players, just to see. Think Baez about it. In- yeah, like sorry, sorry to jump in there, but if you, if if you were to go back to our 2016 recordings, and even may have been yeah 2016 recordings we were talking about Javi or Soler being traded for depth well we don't that? Have, you know don't go listen to those though well it's not as if yeah. we were like voting for one person <laughs> or the other but that was nevertheless a discussion amongst us and everyone else who yeah. follows the team we so can just pretend those conversations didn't happen and i'm pretty sure you wanted Javi gone if i remember correctly um well i didn't <laughs> i don't know if i 
I don't think I wanted him gone. I think in a game of this player or that player, I, 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 yeah. I yeah, admittedly, I probably was not as confident uh, as I was in other players. And I, yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be lying if I if I said I thought uh, years ago we'd be sitting here talking about not only that Javi was close to winning the MVP, but I, I think, you know, again, I think Yelich deserved it, especially with how the, the NL Central plays out. Kind of, it, it kind of you know, that kind of makes it, uh, I don't want to say an easy decision, but it, it definitely sway, you know, one, they're both on teams competing with one another. One of them is ultimately going to pull off the division and it, it makes it a little easier, you know, for the guy uh, who has, I think, some better stats and ultimately takes the division. But I, I think to be sitting here and talking about a situation where Javi really legitimately could have won the MVP. Like there was yeah, a, a really strong case for him to win the MVP. You know, not just that, you know, not like Lester this year with the Cy Young where he got some random vote and you're you're not really even sure uh whether that was right or what, you know, exactly is is going on there. He, Javi had a really legitimate case. And I think when you broke down the offensive numbers, you know, it, it really leaned Yelich. And like I said, they pull away with the division. But thinking back to what Javi did this year, the adjustments that he made in his own game, and how how just how valuable he was to the Chicago Cubs. And I think that, you know, is kind of the difference, at least when I always looked at it, between a Cy Young Award and a Most Valuable Player is that it, it really does try to encapsulate what does this player mean to this specific team? What did he mean to this season? Where would this team be without this person? And I, I think throughout the year, it was quite clear that the Cubs would not have been uh, atop that division for the, the period of the year that they were. And I think that the Brewers win that division uh, considerably easier if you're not, well, obviously easier. They played they played a tie-breaking <laughs> game, so there's not really a way for that to get harder. But uh, just with the way that Chris Bryant was out for part of the year, the way that, you know, the pitching staff for the Cubs struggled in the early going, big free agent signings that don't hit, the troubles with the bullpen that they had down the year, just the, the the inconsistency in the offense throughout the season, you know, one constant really throughout was the production that Javi Baez was putting up, the runs that he was driving in. And all the while, while the stuff with Addison Russell is happening, while Chris Bryant is out, Javi Baez is playing whatever position you need him to. He's playing it exceptionally. He's providing great yeah. defense. He's providing energy. You know, I think at this point, too, another thing that stands out to me that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting is just the, the, the presence of Javi on this team. I mean, this it's this feels he's become, so much— He's become one of the leaders. Right. You it, know? it feels so much like Javi's team, which I, I just, again, you know, admittedly was not really expecting with when you had— uh, the likes of and have the likes of Rizzo, Bryant, Lester, these guys, and and how they kind of had that big stamp on on those 2015, 2016 seasons. Though Javi did as well. It just is amazing to be in a spot again where you know you could make a really legitimate case that Javi Baez was the National League MVP, and just and to, he would have gotten it too if Yelich didn't go on that. Right, you know, that's the thing. It took such run. an insane. 
yeah. effort by Christian Yelich. Uh, again, I think we pointed out before that almost like 50% of his fly balls were going for home runs this year and just mm-hmm. a, a totally insane month of September where he really almost single-handedly wins them that division. Uh, right. Otherwise, right, Javi Baez is the MVP. So it's it's really amazing to kind of step back and, and look at that. And that's why I was saying I was glad that Javi got that that time on the MLB Network just to talk about himself I, I he you know he's a pretty humble guy I think in in everything that we see as far as you know talking about his own accomplishments or, or being uh grandiose in that regard and it was just cool you know for a couple minutes him and and, and Yelich Arenado wasn't there so it was just the two of them talking and uh kind of uh being on top of the baseball world if only for a few minutes there so uh you know i he's a friend of the podcast in a way hobby so if he's listening i mean obviously congratulations every week yeah on a on an unbelievable season Congrats, and, hobby. I, and i Congrats, think hobby. when we when we look back at this era of cubs baseball i i think you know kind of like we still talk about the uh Derek Lee 2005 season where he also doesn't win the mvp i think that you know years down the road i, I think we're all gonna look back fondly and and really remember the 2018 version of Javi Baez. Uh, Hopefully it's not the best and, you know, hopefully that's yet to come. But I I think this is one of those years that we'll look back on for a while. Yeah, out of of the entire scope of this year, Javi does stand out as as the one highlight. Uh, It goes to show you, too, with players who have this much of a high ceiling, you can never rule them out, and that's I'm always reminded of that because in, in my mind, like admittedly, I will say in 2016, I, I did not consider Javi to be a major player for this team in the future. It's not like I didn't think he could do it, but you looked around at the time and you asked yourself, hey, where can he get playing time? Because you had Soler and you had Addison Russell, who was a 22-year-old shortstop, and granted, he had a good year that year. You had so many other pieces. It was hard to imagine Javi rising to the top, and he did. And um, I, I use that example kind of to just recenter my thinking, and I'm reminded of even like Ian Happ, for example, Corey. With Ian Happ, he has multiple position talent. He's not a defensive uh, tool, kind of like how Javi is, but nevertheless can play multiple positions, very athletic, of course, 30-plus homer potential both have a whiff issue. And I'm reminded, hey, like maybe just don't give up on these guys in your mind. You have no idea what's going to come out of it. So I'm reminded of Javi's rise to the top and even Arietta's rise to the top with all of his talent and and high ceiling. You can't give up on these guys. You got to give them as many chances as possible. And if you do give up on them, you could really eat it and you could really, really regret doing that, trading them away in the future. Yeah. I think that that definitely is a good reminder, you know, when you look at some of the numbers that Javi ends up putting up this year and just where he was in his career. And it, yeah, I think is is definitely a reminder to kind of take it easy with some of these guys and remember that, uh, you know, not everybody pulls the Chris Bryant and just comes in and uh, excels and slips into the middle of the order there and never looks back. So Well, now well, the Cubs will trade him, so maybe he'll be in that uh, that same conversation. Now. Yes, right. <laughs> Luckily, those rumors, uh, they kind of stopped after, uh, you know, that whole thing. It, it did kind of slow down with any of that nonsense the worst part about that was like jesse rogers like defending all that yeah even still i mean the espn boys are going to look out for each other but 
that is uh, award season for you. Now we've got all the gold gloves, all the hardware, I believe, is uh, doled out. They also did the managers of the year, Brian Snitker of the Braves winning. Joe Madden getting one first place vote and one third place vote for a total of six points. Um, if you're interested in the point system and whether you should care about stuff like this, uh, I would point out that Mike Schilt, or however you say his name, Careful. again, as with any Cardinals, nobody cares how to pronounce their name. So if you know it, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, he gets one more point than Joe Madden somehow. Um, I, I don't know about that, Brendan. This whole thing is a little <laughs> wacky to me and, and not to, uh, at all defend anything related to the city of Milwaukee, but how do you not give that award to Craig Council? I mean, really? Like, I, I, I don't understand that at all. And this is one of those things where I think that these awards are great. And, and like I said, I'm happy that Javi gets this, this kind of attention and, and consideration. I'm happy that, that Chris won an MVP and that's an honor that will stick throughout his entire career. Um, but I just look at some of this stuff and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know how to take this seriously. If a guy with, with the payroll and the, and the roster that the Brewers have and the way that he sort of single, you know, he manages that team to success with the way that they use the rotation in the bullpen and they have the best record in the league, but the guy on the Braves, what, the team was younger? I mean, I, I, don't, I, I just don't get this stuff, Brendan. Well, it's the, the, it's the people who vote for them. It's like I feel like the writers, they kind of weigh expectations versus reality. And for a team yeah. who didn't have the highest expectations, if they go above that, they the manager gets the, the award. That's that how makes it's always sense, been in the past. Because the Braves were, what, in fourth place last year? Yeah, and they kind of okay. have that same trajectory that the Cubs had in 2015, right? So it's it's not surprising. People had higher expectations for Milwaukee after 2017. Right. Yeah, and, all right, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't agree I, with it, but well, I, I'm not agreeing. I'm not agreeing yeah. with it either. I'm just you know just I, trying I mean, to again, figure like, out the logic. You know, I I don't like Craig Council. He seems like a whiny little baby in most of the games that uh, you know the Cubs play against the the Brewers. How weird was that uh, Wade Miley decision too, where he pitches one batter and he takes? Oh him yeah, out? there was some some real lunacy in the playoffs. But I, I think <laughs> you know during the year, I mean that that's I, how you don't don't credit him for that. Uh, yeah. seems a little strange to me. It seems like if anybody was doing the most managing, right, by like the actual definition, it, it wasn't at Craig Council. Uh, I don't know, but I, I do think that's a good point too to sort of wrap up this this whole award thing. Um, to point out that I think Joe deserved those votes that he got. It was only two votes, a first-place vote and a third-place vote. Uh, but I don't think that anybody's crazy to have voted Joe Madden the manager of the year. I you know, I don't watch these other guys every day, so I, I don't necessarily know if he did a better job than them on the whole. Uh, but I think to have had the injuries that the Cubs had, to have – Players that you expected to be contributing, you know, when you got into the end of the off season, into spring training, and and broke camp, I you know, and not have them healthy or not have them performing to any level, and and still have that team win ninety five games with uh, so many injuries, so many rotating players, different lineups, and I, I think really getting the most out of or trying to get the most out of some of those younger players, and and the way that Joe was using those platoon matchups and and advantages 
I, I don't think it's crazy to to have given him consideration for an award like this. And I certainly always don't agree with him. Um, I, I think this year was, you know, arguably the most trying uh, as a as a fan and a Joe Madden fan to kind of reconcile a lot of the decisions that that we were seeing on a daily basis. Uh, but I think you you know you'd also make a very strong argument that this was the the toughest hand that Joe was dealt. And you know as he's done every year he's been in Chicago, the team you know has a an overall a very strong performance. And and they came out in the second half had another uh, you know strong showing even in spite of some serious offensive issues that I don't really think Joe had much to do with. Um, so I, I think good to good to see him get that recognition as well. In going into September, people kind of pegged Madden as the inevitable winner for the managerial award as well. So it's funny what that month of September does to everything right it's it's i was in, in agreement with you too i thought there's no way as we enter september madden would not win that award because given the injuries given the trajectory right. of the team there was no one else who deserved it more and i think just those last four and a half weeks with theo saying there was a lack of urgency it it, it just soured the mood around joe madden um and to some degree i can understand that with with theo kind of indirectly calling Madden out to to some degree, I guess. Who knows what would actually happen there. But personally, Corey, like I think this probably was Madden's best year. And his way of maneuvering around the bullpen, too, I thought was yeah. admirable. And, of course, the bullpen was injured. But when Morrow went down, guys, like they didn't have that many people to, to fill in. And, and Carl Edwards Jr., the entire second half, guys, was dealing with shoulder fatigue, injuries. The bullpen never really lost a step. And I think to some degree that that goes on Joe Madden and his ability to maneuver guys around. And I think too, you know, especially you saw uh, guys like Jorge De La Rosa, Jaime Garcia come in. And, you know, even when you had Morrow go down, then you eventually had Strope go down. You know, Joe figured out a way to to get production out of those guys and to piece together a lot of games that I think if you just looked at the box score and the, the list of guys that were coming into the game, I don't think you would have thought that all those games were going as well as they were. There were plenty of games that I remember being at where you're like, this is who we're bringing in right now? Or why is this guy warming up right now? Like, what is going on here? And, you know, yeah. I think more often than not, it worked. And I, I think, you know, again, that's that's a credit to Joe's willingness to be flexible, adapt, and, you know, kind of figure out what what you're working with and, and find a way to make it work. So uh, I, I don't know if he was the best manager in the National League this year, uh, but it was a very good season from Joe Madden, I think, in, in spite of some uh, interesting circumstances this year. And I think that's one of, I think that's one of the underappreciated traits of Joe Madden in that he's continuing to show is, like you said, Corey, flexibility i think yeah. towards the end of the year with jorge de la rosa and jaime garcia being relied upon as late high leverage relievers is is remarkable and i think i'm reminded of the days of lupinella dusty baker you know your traditional kind of stubborn manager you would have never imagined them taking the risk and i guess sometimes that's to joe's demise but most of the time i feel as if it does give the players an added degree of confidence that their manager is backing them up for these situations. 
And I think that's underappreciated. And when the Cubs enter in 2019, I'm sure Joe will change some stuff, but if you can adapt and continue to adapt and be more flexible and create the higher sense of urgency, perhaps, Joe probably is still the guy to lead this team. Yeah, I, I you know, we've kind of broken that down a, a good bit, but yeah, I'm certainly in agreement uh, that Joe is is the man for now. And as one thing I want to transition to here is is a, a particular rumor in the off season, and you know, just sort of thinking on on Joe Madden, it it is a reminder um, of you know that 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 position and who you have in the position as manager is important, and it does play a role in bringing in new players. I, I would think that it's not necessarily that frequent of a scenario where a player is signing somewhere specifically because of the manager, you know, absent any other circumstances. But I think it's it's part of, you know, when you're going to bring in uh, new players and, and add to your core, you know, you need to have the manager who you're putting this large investment in. So as, as you know, when uh, we, we talk about someone like Bryce Harper, you know, you're going to bring in a very talented player that ultimately is going to be probably the the richest contract in baseball if he ends up coming to the Cubs. You know, you, you need to trust the guy who's going to integrate that into everything and, and, and keep control of the clubhouse when these new players come in. And I, and I think that Joe is the best if not you know one of the best in the league as you know from a a fan's perspective and just the general reputation that you hear uh from writers and players and and everybody around the game so it's it's another occasion to just remember that uh you know i think at least as far as the cubs related podcast goes the official stance is that we are uh very much still pro joe madden and uh grateful that he's at the helm in the midst of conversations like this because i think he's really one of the best uh, to have leading in situations like this. And, and, and with that, look at uh, the main rumor, I think, from this week since we last spoke to everybody, Brendan, is really this. And other than that, we really have not heard much uh, about what yeah. is going on as it relates to the Cubs' offseason plans. Uh, but from 670 the score, Dan Bernstein, and whether I uh, like the source or dislike the source, I almost always offer this clarifier. Um, consider the source. You know, you have to kind of think what what your opinion is of the, of the score and Dan Bernstein and, and what his connections might be. Um, generally, I think the, the score and the, and the people around it um, are fairly connected and, and you know, not... Um, people who I would look at and, and immediately disregard, uh, but you never know. So I'm, I'm just saying, you know, you kind of always have to take these things with a grain of salt, no matter uh, where they're coming from, because at the end of the day, until there is a signature on a dotted line, uh, these are all just words on the internet. But Dan Bernstein says, I've been told that the discussions regarding Bryce Harper's future are beginning in earnest, where it isn't just sort of the kabuki theater of the meetings. The dance is starting, and I am told that at this point, the Cubs are in. He goes on to say, I don't want to overplay this, and there's no real indication of the seriousness of any of the teams involved, but I do get the sense that for the moment, it hasn't gotten too rich for their blood yet, that there being the Cubs. There's a lot of showmanship that goes on with Boris' clients. So I think that this is... uh, a pretty 
standard rumor. You know, he's not uh, lighting the world on fire with any of this information. You know, it's, it's not, uh, the, you know, an, an earth-shattering revelation. But it is interesting to consider, Brendan, because we've heard so much about what the Cubs' financial situation is going to be. We've heard, you know, a lot of rumors from, quote, rival executives saying they don't necessarily expect the Cubs to be big spenders or at least to have to be kind of creatively maneuvering their payroll. And this report, at the the very least, you know, if we're going to believe it, is suggesting that, you know, the conversations are starting for real and, you know, nothing about them right now suggests that the Cubs are not participating or have removed themselves or anything to that degree. So so what are your, what are your thoughts here on this? Is This is kind of the first, um, I, I think, at least that I've read, the first report about the Bryce Harper sweepstakes that is basically saying it's happening and I, I get the sense that the Cubs are at least at the table. I'm not surprised. The, the Cubs are always at the table, regardless of reports of their financial restrictions or their future payroll commitments. They're going to listen. And I think the Cubs have a very clear idea of what they can and cannot do. And if it's in the realm of possibility financially to go and get Bryce Harper, they're going to try to do it. And there's more than just money at stake, potentially. The Cubs in the past have been able to get players on lower annual average value contracts in in, in sacrificing option years and sacrificing perhaps longer commitments. Uh, so we've, we've seen the Cubs go out and get players not because they completely outbid the other team. They're able to add in incentives, and that could be that could be part of it. So I'm not surprised. I think ultimately, if I had a bet on this, I don't know if I would bet on the Cubs landing Bryce Harper. You look around at the different payrolls, the Yankees, for example, the Dodgers, for example. Right now, they're both substantially underneath the luxury tax, even considering arbitration estimates for, for next year and years beyond, whereas the Cubs, of course, are already way above the luxury tax. And in fact, they're the highest payroll currently for next season. So I I, I think the Cubs have a lot of obstacles ahead of them if they will have to compete with Boris just going for the max contract per se. But it doesn't surprise me. I I think the Harper situation still is so foggy. And I I do respect the score. I know the other sources, but I got got to see the kind of like the big guys go out there and explain it more like Ken Rosenthal or John Morosi or, or those guys. And until that happens, I'm still operating under the assumption that this is going to be a slow process and the Cubs likely will have to do a lot to get Bryce Harper. But it's not out of the realm of possibility in in my view right now. Do you think that Theo and the front office are putting together a, a virtual, virtual reality presentation uh, for Bryce <laughs> like they did for Shohei Otani? So game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, down 3-0, bases loaded two outs to, to substitute uh, Bryce Harper's head over uh, David Bodie's body, basically, kind of like that virtual reality experience. I yeah, I, I just wonder if they're if they're going to uh, well, they did know, the same the thing same too. Lengths. Well, you know they did this, did, they did that with John Lester, right? They showed him a video of John Lester basically simulating throwing in game seven of the World Series, and guess what? He ended up doing just that. like he did, just and like he, he did. did. People forget um, that, Corey. Yeah, so 
I, this is basically what it's going to be. The, the 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 Bryce Harper thing has not really kicked into full gear. I, I think you know we really don't even have an exact picture of who the the main players at the table are uh, here yet. I think you know we have a general idea. You know certainly you hear like the Dodgers, the Phillies thrown out a lot, um, the Cubs, the White Sox are you know putting together. Uh, I believe they put together a, a presentation for him. Uh, maybe last week, I know there was some stuff at the, at the United Center that they were doing. Yeah. So this is just how it's going to be. And, you know, if you're curious as to what kind of rumors and, and headlines you're going to have to wade through as we go through this process, uh, I think someone from TMZ asked Bryce what city has his favorite food. He said Chicago and, you know, all hell broke loose, Brendan. I mean, I, I read at least three articles uh, about the fact that Bryce Harper said he likes eating in Chicago and, you know, jokingly or not, you know, why that means he's going to come to the Cubs or could he come to the White Sox. So that that's the kind of offseason you're in for, if, if, if you were wondering. You're going to have to deal with probably some pretty ridiculous headlines um, and some real digging to, to, you know, to kind of figure out where the, the meat of these rumors are because that's, I, I, uh, you know, just what happens when the Cubs are in on a, you know, a huge talent like this, and maybe multiple huge talents. We haven't even heard anything about Manny Machado yet. So uh, it's off-season off to a little bit of a slow start, and, you know, kind of like it was with Otani, you know, the longer it drags out, the the more nonsense we're all going to have to wade through as fans uh, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Yeah, the, the difference between Otani and Harper, of course, is Otani, there, there was no money necessarily that was driving the decision. I know he may have taken more money for the Angels, but that severely slowed down the entire offseason because everyone theoretically could afford Otani, whereas maybe five or six teams can truly afford Bryce Harper. So if you're imagining the offseason turning into just like how it was last year, I wouldn't bet on that because there's a limited number of teams. We get the sense that if they're already talking seriously right now, I, I doubt it takes three months for Harper and his family to come to a decision, but I could be wrong. But Corey, I mean, what do you think of this, though? I, I think this is the first report that's showing tangibly the Cubs are actually involved, especially coming off of, what was it, three weeks of hinting that the Cubs would not be involved. Yeah, I mean, I th- that's what I sort of expected. And I mean, I was always in, in the camp that I, I certainly think that they should be involved in this process, but you know, without knowing their overall plans, you know, I, I don't think that it's necessarily a sign Bryce or bust situation. Um, and I, I think that as long as they're in in the conversation, you know, making their pitch and, and trying to make it work, if that's the direction that they want to go, that's that's really all that, that I would hope for. Um, I, you know, I think like you and, and everybody else, I was not super interested in in the reports that, you know, they weren't even going to participate because they, you know, they didn't want to spend money or they they didn't want to go over certain luxury tax thresholds. That I don't want to hear. Um, Because I just don't, I I don't think in a a window like the Cubs are in and with the money that they make, it's, you know, I just don't think it's something that any of us want to hear, especially people that, you know, are paying pretty frequently to go to the games. They just announced the season ticket prices uh, on average went up again. Mine did not uh, somehow. I mean, they went up the last two years, so I was really hoping it wasn't going to happen again. Uh, But, 
you know, as that happens for everybody, you know, it's just not what you want to hear. But by the same token, like I, I don't, I don't know that I ever was necessarily in the. Uh, they have to do this. This is, you know, a hundred percent the thing they have to do. You know, open the checkbook, do whatever you have to do to get it there. I, you know, I, I, I trust as I have for the entire process. I, I trust this front office and this this group to you know, find moves and, and make decisions that, that, that ultimately put a good team on the field. So it, I, I just want them to be in the discussion. So if this report is true, I'm, I'm happy with this. And, and this is, you know, sort of uh, the, the type of report that, that I would prefer to be hearing, that they're, you know, they're involved, they're talking about it, and, you know, nothing has kind of knocked them out of this process yet. But we'll see what happens. I think that's that that's fine by me, and and I think as long as they're able to be involved, I trust Theo to you know figure out ultimately what he wants to do and and, and what the right play is. Uh, can, but I, Brandon, can I add to can I add yeah, to that? For sure. Okay, uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on this too, and maybe it's too early to have a definitive opinion. But the Phillies owner came out. I don't know if you saw these yeah, quotes. Did. You did. Okay. And just to paraphrase, guys, what what the Phillies owner said, he essentially insinuated, there's an open check. Just throw me the check. Let me sign it. Let's get this team on a winning trajectory. So with that said, Corey, I know it's early, but if you had to bet on where Harper will end up, given all the information we know with the Cubs maybe not being in completely, with the Phillies being in full throttle, with the Yankees may not being in fully, uh, completely, where do you think Bryce Harper will go? This I know it's early; it's not like a definitive opinion. But if you had to bet right now, what would you say? I think I think Philly seems like a a good spot. I I I don't. I guess I don't know that much about Bryce. I'm not sure if this information is either you know even out there. But I I would just be curious. You know what is the driving force of the decision? Because if it if it's money, it seems like the Phillies are going to do what they have to to you know make that move happen and and your paraphrasing wasn't really as fun as the actual quote he, he, i think he <laughs> literally said uh we're gonna spend some money we might even be a little stupid about it i think yeah, that's actually what i think he did, he I think he did so say you, that you kind of clean that up to sound more like a you know front office person but that's not that's not even what he said so you just called me a front office person i'm honored Corey. that's not really what i said and Thank only one of that. the people on this that. podcast has actually worked in front offices and it's not you so uh okay touche i mean way to go straight for the dagger there Jeez. well you know you're straying a little off course there but Sorry. uh but i I just wonder what that line is for Bryce. You know, say he really wanted to play for the Cubs, um, but not even, you know, because of finances or anything like that. You know, let's just say Theo has a limit for what he thinks is a reasonable contract, looking forward to other things he wants to do in the future. And the Phillies are just able to go, I don't know, call it $5 million a year, more than that. You know, is his desire to play for the Cubs, if, if that's, you know, to be believed as it's presented uh, throughout the years. You know, is that worth more than the few more million a year? I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I, I have a real read on that. My my guess is no, that he right. would just go to the Phillies. I mean, I think either way he's going to be dealing with uh, teams that are either good already or certainly headed in the right direction and from everything that we've heard, just the, the places that we've heard, you know, these are these are big cities. These are big sports cities. He's going to be playing to 
big crowds. He's going to be on a national stage, you know, to varying degrees wherever he goes. And I think of some of the the places that have been named, perhaps Philly is lowest on that list. But it, it's still a, a big sports city. If he's, you know, a marquee player in Philadelphia, you know, that can be a, a pretty prominent role in American sports. So right. my sense is, yeah, the team that, that comes to play with the best offer, um, you know, and maybe that's not necessarily money. It could be a certain amount of years. It could be how the opt-outs are. And that was, that's what I was insinuating too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I, yeah, it just seems like the Phillies are going to be that team that is basically like, look, we're going to do, just tell us how to end up with Bryce Harper in Gabe Kapler's lineup next year, and we're going to make that happen. And I, I don't know, I guess my read on Bryce is that that's, you know, between him and Boris, that's going to be enough to make that happen. Yeah. So the reason Hayward came to the Cubs and the, the thought was, hey, Hayward turned down more money to come to the Cubs back in 2016. What ended up happening was, yes, Hayward did turn down $210 million to go back to St. Louis. But the reason he did that was because he was guaranteed $184 million by the Cubs, and the Cubs gave him two options that seemed inevitable that Hayward would, Hayward would take after the third and fourth year. He would, Hayward would have entered the free Asian market again at 30 years old 20 or 31 years old. They make more money that way. I, I see that kind of similarly happening to Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. So, so that's what I was saying too. It may not be the most money. It may be which team is more willing to accept uncertainty for how long they can sustain and keep Bryce Harper in their future outlook, right? Like if, if, if the Phillies are looking for Bryce Harper to be there, totally for seven, eight, nine years. And the Cubs, on the other hand, are like, you know what? If he leaves after three, four years, we're fine with it. We'll give him that deal. That may be the tipping point. And that's what the tipping point was for Hayward. And that's why I brought that up. An interesting process to monitor. But yeah, at least uh, for this week, basically the only, uh, I think, you know, super juicy rumor was that. So, and it, you know, is kind of at least, a you know, a little bit in contrast to what we had been hearing prior to that, that the Cubs are involved, they're talking, and, uh, you know, nothing has removed them from the bidding as of yet. But we'll see how that goes, obviously, as we head into uh, the winter meetings shortly here, where, you know, hopefully we see some some stuff going down, or at least I think those rumors will, will pick up in earnest if they haven't already. But uh, before we go, Brendan, I, I want you to give me one thing from the 2018 season, only the 2018 season. And I, and I, and I clarify it as that, because if we played this game and said, say what you're thankful for, uh, on the episode prior to Thanksgiving, we would both just say 2016 and the fact that the Cubs won the world series in seven games over the Cleveland Indians. I, we just say that every time. I know I would, uh, or I'd come up with a different way of saying it. You know, either way, it doesn't matter. So restricted to 2018, give me one thing that you look back and you're like, I'm I'm glad that happened uh, hmm. for the Chicago Cubs. I was going to be kind of dark about this, <laughs> and so I'm going to go out in there, out there and say it. The, the fact that the 2018 season ended. <laughs> It was kind of a relief. Uh, honest to God, it was kind of a relief. Those past four weeks wow. were were bad. But I'm not going to be that dark. I'm not going to be that dark. What I'm thankful for the most in 2018, 
I, I gotta say that was a rough year, man, for for me with the Cubs. Um, who? I think the the safe one is Javi, right? Like Javi emerging and being kind of that superstar. Um, probably, probably is that. Uh, what else? Mm, okay, I'll be a little bit more positive. I think being there in person for David Bodie's walk off was incredible. Um, I'll always remember that. I, I think maybe my my best memory at Wrigley Field, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, so I'm thankful for that moment. I got to say that. All right, that's fair. I think those are those are three very good ones. I mean, I think Javi Javi's a pretty easy answer. Yeah. Um, what about you? I, I I might have a few. Um, my first, and depending on the context, I I, I was really rooting for it. I I, I I really was, and I think Brennan knows that. Um, but at least for the moment, I'm I'm not that upset that John Lester didn't hit that second home run. <laughs> um, you know, I look at you know my body, I, and there's not a tattoo am. there. I, wa- I wanted that to happen. So did I. Like, I, I really did, uh, I think, a lot of the time. And, you know, look, he he pitched in that wild card game. I was all for it there. I mean, I would have gone nuts. We probably would have been at, a, <laughs> you know, tattoo parlor on somewhere in, you know, on Belmont or something in, in Wrigleyville later that night. But, you know, in the off season, looking back, I, I think, you know, I'm all right with it. I'm, I'm okay with, with, with that not having happened. Um I was going to say to another one, um, I am glad. This one, you know, sort of in jest, but not really. I, I am kind of glad that we don't have to deal with Chili Davis anymore. Ooh, I like that one. I, I mean, like that one. If, 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 we're, if we're being honest, um, again, seemed like a really nice guy and, and seemed like he, he worked hard and, and, and did his, his portion of the job, but I, I am... Uh, thankful that we don't have to watch chili ball anymore um i i did not like it and and a lot of the results were really really gross to look at i'm also um, thankful for rizzo i i, I think we should just in, just general. in general rizzo yeah, once oh, again consistency yeah. from number standpoint from a leadership standpoint we 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 should be extremely thankful for Rizzo. And there's ever a moment to a beautiful human yeah, being. Yeah, there's yeah. ever a moment. Always thankful for absolutely. Rizzo. And if there's ever a moment to consider that, it's now. You got to be thankful for the guy. Yes, I think that's that's a great decision. Uh, and and sort of you know in a trying to come up with one that you know is a, at least a little more basebally, if you will, um, kind of along the lines of what you said. But I, I I'm. Glad that David Bodie got to play the role that he did in 2018. That was fun, wasn't I, it? I, yeah, I agree with that. That was fun. Yeah, it, it was fun. It, it was it was one of those things that you know, obviously, you weren't really expecting. You know, he I, I he had a a good a big spring and you know, kind of got himself on the radar. But you know, you just certainly weren't expecting him to be. A, a part of the team in the way he was, and uh, you know, by the end of the year, Brendan, I mean, really, one of the things, uh, especially during the periods where the offense was uh, performing the way that it was, it was you know really exciting turning on the TV every day or going in person every day and seeing David Bodie play defense, which is not something I yeah. was really expecting to you know kind of be one of the the highlights of the year but just watching the plays that he made charging balls at third base it was just it was a lot of fun to watch him kind of play a role on this team and you know ultimately by the end of the year you know the offense 
that that flame kind of went out a little bit, you know, with how hot he was when he first came up. But I think just, you know, cool to to see another guy kind of work his way into the mix of players and at the very least kind of plant his flag in, in a sense that, you know, I'm a part of this group, you know, we'll see how he, he fits in going forward. But, you know, like he's he's involved, he's there. And, you know, I think there was a lot to be really curious and, and hopeful for as it relates to the future. And and yeah, I mean, again, like he, he provided uh, at least a few of, you know, the, the kind of hallmark moments from that season. Of course, the walk-off Grand Slam against the Nationals, uh, that game-tying home run prior to the Rizzo walk-off home run in that game against the Diamondbacks. Just some really fun moments uh, from David Bodie. And of course, the classic David Bodie face uh, <laughs> reacting to that Addison yeah, Russell that play, good. which I think you know, is is a top a top picture from this era of Cubs baseball. Yeah, that was good. So I, th- I think I think that's it. And I mean, in a general sense, uh, I I know I already you know did one involved with Lester, but much like Rizzo, I mean, I'm just you know thankful for John Lester's general existence, um, that he ended up on the Cubs, that he's been you know worth way more than the Cubs pay him over the course of this contract. Uh, I'm thankful for the beard he was growing. I think that was a nice little change to things. And uh, I'm also thankful that at least where we are in this offseason and, and, and the reports that we've read and just the stuff coming out, um, you know, is that this offseason is hopefully going to be productive and, and fruitful as it relates to Chris Bryant and his health. Uh, you know, he's not going to have some kind of major surgery. I think that they said things look good there and that he should be uh, good to go for for the the next season. So I, I, I'm thankful for that because that was really unpleasant. There, There's really, I think, nothing I've enjoyed less. I, ty, watching Tyler Chatwood pitch is up there, but uh, of things I enjoy the least is when someone as talented as Chris Bryant and, you know, who we've seen perform at the level of Chris Bryant, it clearly just is not all there and just is not able to play up to that level and, and, and play at full health and, and just be the player that he can is. I, can I ask so, you a, uh, a dark question here? I guess okay. before Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, let's, let's kind of reverse it here. So sure. we're, we're, we're saying what we're most thankful for in 2018. Uh-huh. What are you least thankful for in 2018 from this team? I mean, it, 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 there's at least in my mind, there's two answers. It's, there's, a, there's actually a lot of answers. <laughs> there's a lot of answers, yeah. but I mean, it, 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 it it's Chatwood. I, is I it mean, really, like, man? I, but is it really Chatwood? I think oh, so. I mean, it, it maybe is that Darvish got hurt. I, I mean, I think that was that was maybe the worst thing that happened. I mean, Brian Darvish, Chatwood, Chili Davis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say, I, dude, I just. You know, you know, what my, you know what mine is though. Yeah, Russell. Yeah, I mean, good. Uh, yeah, just the whole God, thing, I, I, guys. I had a rough year. Well, man. yeah, I mean that that whole thing is just yeah. Awful. I, I mean, yeah. Ugh, this in terms of like, I'm still taking you know open feedback for replacing Addison Russell as my you know favorite player, or whatever. But that that was that was bad. I think uh, from <laughs> everything involved, baseball, baseball side, of course, terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, so yeah, I think that's for me. That's probably the one thing I'm least thankful for. Uh, but on a more positive note, since we're transitioning here, <laughs> I know I'm trying to be more positive. It's hard sometimes. Nico Horner is playing well. Maybe Nico will be that that Addison Russell replacement for me. That's fair. Um, but 
<laughs> apparently Evan Altman's kid is already beating me to the punch. So I don't even know if I can, I think Nico already might be, uh, gone for me to, to take. I can't, I can't take, I can't take that away from Evan's kid. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, th- yeah, I, I just think that of the things I enjoyed the least it's Chadwood pitching is just such a oh the Julius Chassin thing too that was rough man that that was that was rough yeah that's fair that was rough four was it five times Chassin faced the Cubs whatever it was yeah it was it was I think it might have even been more than six times but (laughs) I I another one is just things I'm least thankful for was that Terrence Gore took that last in that wild card game I mean just what a mess (laughs) of a situation I, and not even like relitigating the decision making or anything, but just that, that, that is how that season is ending. I mean, the season, you know, all the, all the hours and innings and pitches and stuff that, that we all watch and live and die through with this team. And it's, it's coming down to Terrence Gore swinging at a three, two pitch in the dirt for who knows what they, reason. I, I said that, was, yeah, like I a, think that, that was like a microcosm of where the Cubs oh, went. Oh, 100% it was. Yeah, <laughs> there was sadness, confusion, anger, all in one, all in one little yeah, You went from yeah, That uh, was a kind of a perfect microcosm of You the went season. from a team full of sluggers down to a contact-oriented team of Terrence right. Gore within like 12 months. So, But oof. I think to finish on a truly positive okay. note, I, I am in this period always thankful that the the Cubs are putting out a team where we are able to sit and scrutinize a 95-win team and point out what our least favorite moments were and all that stuff. And, you know, all in the, all at the same time, talk about their pursuit of potentially the, the highest coveted free agent and, you know, one of the biggest contracts in, in baseball history. And so I'm, I'm, you know, always thankful that we're we're still in that period of Cubs baseball. That you know, even when we get deep into the weeds of some of these conversations, at at the core of it all is that the Cubs are good, the Cubs are competitive, and the Cubs are trying. I, I think in earnest to be the best team in baseball, and that's uh, a good place to be, Brennan. Never forget we're that. not the Mets. Hashtag I'm thankful we're not the Mets. Oof, man. Good, good God. Hopefully we won't be the Mets next year with all these injuries. But uh, yeah, that, I think at the end of the day... Brendan, I'm trying to end on a positive well, note. Well, the Chris Bryant shoulder is still scary. You just have to <laughs> slip a little Brendanism in there. Yeah, that's great. Hopefully everybody doesn't get hurt, huh? Watch Brian to get his shoulder scoped out like in two weeks. Jeez. Oh my God. Let's just end this podcast now. I don't want it. I'm... Brandon, Brendan writes really dark uh, Cubs fan fiction when in, in his free time where everything always just goes just, wrong. He has seasons and seasons of it's it. Just thoughts in my mind. Thoughts from uh, yeah. Cubs related podcast, Brendan. Yeah, it's uh, not 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 good. It's very guys. dark. Good. That's all I got for yeah. you, Corey. All right. Well, I think that'll do it. Uh, a bit of a slow week, but you know, still some some stuff to break down. And and I think we'll we'll stick to this schedule. We'll come back to you uh, on Monday. And again, as as we usually point out, you know, if things ratchet up or you know we get uh, some some bigger, maybe more tangible rumors early in parts of these weeks. We'll, we'll jump on with you midweek and talk with you guys. But I think otherwise, uh, having that, that episode out for, for the Monday commute and, and whatever's going on on Monday is a good schedule for now with not too much going on. Uh, but as always, we thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys, uh, you know, if you do something for Thanksgiving, get together with people. Hopefully uh, that is a nice time for you guys. Uh, you have 
time off from work. Hopefully you're able to enjoy that. Um, and uh, one thing that Brendan and I are certainly thankful for is uh, that you guys tune in to us every week, give us uh, an audience to speak to because we enjoy it, and uh, we always appreciate your support, feedback on Twitter, on the iTunes review. It, it does mean a lot to us, so we thank you guys for that uh, very much. And I think with that, that's all we have. So we will talk to you guys next week unless something happens, uh, and then we'll talk to you earlier. Uh, but as always, you can find us on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Google Play. We are on Spotify. And as always, uh, Blog Talk Radio does not update the feed anymore. It is called Spreaker now, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. So if your feed has not been updating, you can check one of those mediums, and it will be there. With that, again, we thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you guys next week. And whether they are playing or simply involved in rumors for free agents, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.